Tony interviews Batman. Hi, this is Burt Ward Robin from the TV series Batman. You're listening to TV Confidential. Wowie Zowie, it's fantastic. It's like we both are in love again. I'm going to jump back and forth because you mentioned you mentioned Yoko. Um, one one of the great things about your book is that you not only chronicle. Um, you know, the events of December 8th, 1980. But um, like a filmmaker, I mean, you, you, you go back and forth um, and you, you, you tell John's story from birth to death and you really go into detail. I mean, you, you really give the readers a clear idea of what it was uh, about these two people that attracted each other. And the the quote, I believe... I believe this is from uh, Cynthia Lennon, John's first wife, that that struck me. You you quote her from. I mean, you, you quote her as saying, "When she first met Yoko, she never. I mean, she she didn't see her as any sort of threat physically because she knew Cynthia. She knew she well, was Cynthia a. Cynthia be- was prettier than Yoko, if uh, you know, using a traditional um, uh, traditional definition of beauty. Yeah, but um, but. But she could tell there was a connection between John and Yoko, and she felt immediately unnerved about what what was it about John and Yoko that um, that attracted them to each other? Yes, and that's interesting because Cynthia felt that before John and Yoko even consummated their relationship. Right, and I think it was the fact that Yoko had the soul of an artist, and John had the soul of an artist, and he always felt misunderstood. And in somebody like Yoko, she was even more out there than he was. So he was somebody that he, she was somebody that he looked up to, and she didn't necessarily look up to him as Beetle John. She was an artist, and she was doing her own thing. And I think that John, you know, dug that. I think he thought this is somebody I can really learn from. And you know, Cynthia had to, like all the Beetle wives, had to abide by with the endless stream of groupies. But this was something that was really threatening because this was something that pulled at John's soul. I had a chance um, to listen to the RKO interview that we mentioned in our in our, in our open. I'd never heard it before, and um, and and while while it's one thing to read, um, at, you know, to read in your book, Keith, um, uh, John speaking of his love for Yoko and what it is about this woman that you know he got and that she got him. But it, it's 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 something else to hear John in his own to hear John's voice when he talks about Yoko. I mean, they'd been together what ten years at that point in December nineteen eighty, and it's like he was. I mean, he was still very much very much a man in love with her. Well, and they had had their rough patches as well because uh, there's the well chronicled lost weekend where John and Yoko had separated. Right. But they had come back together, and by now by nineteen eighty, they had raised a child together for five years, and. You know, I know as a father, sometimes during the, you know, the toddler phase, that can cause a big rift between the parents. And then, you know, if the marriage is strong, the kid, you know, gets into kindergarten, first grade, and you begin to say, okay, I don't have to focus on this baby stage anymore. And you can start looking at one another as individuals and appreciate what you like about each other. And I think John and Yoko were appreciating what they liked about each other, as well as appreciating their ability to make music together. And even though John had taken a sabbatical from the music business, 
there was always music churning around inside of him, and now it was time for it to come out, and it would have continued flowing out had he not been shot. Right, and there is, and, and there's clearly there was a trust in 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 her ability to to manage, you know, his career and the manage and, and to manage, the, you know, their. Their, their, their business, their finances. Exactly. I yeah. mean, and, and this is something I didn't realize until I began researching the book, that Yoko Ono is descended from the founder of Fuji Bank, and she's also related to the emperor of Japan. So this is a woman who understands how to invest in things and, you know, capitalize on her dividends. Well, there's a reason why John was always considered the smartest of the Beatles. Maybe so. <laughs> We are talking to New York Times bestselling author Keith Elliott Greenberg, producer of America's Most Wanted and the author of more than 30 books. Keith's latest book is December 8, 1980, The Day John Lennon Died, a fascinating book that takes a documentary-like, almost minute-by-minute look at what turned out to be the final day of John Lennon's life right up into the moment when he was fatally shot by Mark David Chapman. The publisher of December 8, 1980, The Day John Lennon Died, is Backbeat Books. Backbeat Books, and it is available wherever books are sold. Keith, you've, you've written 30 books, uh, and, and, and as we mentioned in our open, you produce documentaries. Um, when you started to write December 8th, 1980, did you make a conscious choice to present it like a documentary in words, or, or, or was that something that came out in the writing? Uh, actually, uh, y- your, your insight is very... Um It's accurate. I did kind of look at it as a bound documentary. Um, I thought, you know, I would go back and I would um, go back into the archives and tell tell, uh, the background so people would have context to understand what John's life had been like and what the Beatle life had been like and what John and Yoko's relationship had been like to lead to uh, December 8th, 1980, so people would really understand John Lennon's positive mindset. And then I also interviewed people on the margins of the story, mm-hmm. the mayor of the city of New York at the time. I interviewed the first cop to arrive at the scene. I interviewed the poor guy who happened to be in the emergency room with a broken leg when John Lennon came in. I interviewed lawyer friends who'd advised John Lennon previously and um, then uh, advised Yoko after the shooting. And I interviewed lots of friends who were regular New Yorkers who uh, felt the loss very uh, profoundly and still do. Well, that that uh, that sets up my next question. Uh, you describe the story of John Lennon's death as a story of New York City as a whole. Uh, tell our listeners what you mean by that. Well, um, New York was a very different place uh, 30 years ago. It was a very untamed place. It had not been quite gentrified yet. Trump Tower wasn't built until, until 1983. Um, the subways were still smeared with graffiti. Um, you know, the, um, the, the quality of life uh, campaign had not yet begun. And, uh, you know, Times Square was not disnified yet. So you didn't really know what you were going to see when you turned turn the corner. Not that New York's a predictable place now, but um, it, it's a little bit slightly more manageable, at least in the, you know, in, in the proper neighborhoods. And, but this was the New York that John Lennon fell in love with. I think that John Lennon enjoyed the grittiness of New York City, as well as you know the, the artists who could afford to live in New York City back then, before a lot of things became overpriced. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, 
have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.